Hello and welcome to episode 135 of What Most People Think. Keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. I said, keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. It's the only way to start this week's podcast, and we will uh, come on to that. And you can hear uh, in the background, I took him by surprise there, he's the, the brilliant Matt Ford, who is uh, rejoining us as co-host today by popular demand. Welcome back to the show, Matt. Oh, I didn't realise I was co-hosting. I presumed I was a guest. No, that that that. that. That's why I was so surprised you didn't ask for money. But there you go. You're in. <laughs> you're in straight from the top here, mate. Friend oh, of the wow, show now. Wow! Friend, wow! You. Um, we, this is obviously the second leg of of our of our double header. I went. I went to a political party, and uh, you know, I feel like I ground out some sort of result there. And, uh, <laughs> you, you didn't just grind out a result. The, the reaction's been superb. People absolutely loved it. I've had a lot of messages about it. Well, I would say the thing is, is, it's very rare that I chat about what I think in that much detail. So if you've ever thought, well, he only scratches the surface on his own podcast, you should be listening to Matt's podcast anyway. It is the best political podcast out there. And um, but, but if you want to listen to what I really think in detail and somebody actually asking thoughtful questions, uh, then, then go have a look at that. But, you know, we've just mentioned uh, Life on the Road there. And last week I told, I think I told the most tragic tale of Life on the Road I've ever had, which was I was in um, the Wirral uh, last week and I was hung over. And I got back to the um, I got back to the hotel after the gig. Vending machine wasn't working, so I got sixteen. Oh. See, no, this gets worse, mate. Sixteen cartons of that little milk, and tried to pour it in so I could have a glass of milk before I went to bed. Ah, uh, but that's not real milk, <laughs> mate. It's not real anything. It's it's Ugh. just the, it's the worst story. I mean, I love the fact that you've sort of insinuated there that oh, if it had been real milk, that's just that's just living. But that would make more sense. You would be getting some nutrition or some calcium from it. But that's no. just like white water. I, You'd be better just having a, a glass of water. But I think that I think for a lot of people, it will be the perceived optics of that that are sad. Rather, I love you've gone to nutrition, and that's beautiful. Well, I, I, obviously, at the at the you know at the end of the day, or whenever you're having your your main meal, you want something that's going to do something for you. I mean, apart from anything else. The amount of time it would take you to yeah. decant all of those. Decanting is the word. You're better definitely. off just doing them as shots. <laughs> At least then you feel like you're having a night out. <laughs> I mean, you would think, right, that, you know, around, for any human, they would never have had the idea. Then the next strata of human, second decanting, they're thinking, I need to think about my life here. I got to <laughs> 16. I only started to think about how sad it was when I was halfway through the glass of milk and I just, I looked to my left and there was a reflection on the window of me. And I just looked so old and so unhappy. How did it taste? <laughs> it was all right, actually. I won't, really? I, I won't lie. I mean, it says on the thing, Milak tastes like milk. You know, they're, they're not lying. You're on tour at the moment. The tour has a fantastic name. You said it's the name of the tour that you probably should have always had. What is it? It's Clowns to the Left of Me, Jokers to the Right. <laughs> and it really highlights how thick I am, really, because I've <laughs> been going quite a while and it's the first time it's ever occurred to me. So uh, it's a good title, I guess. Um, Actually, I mean, it's not the most tragic thing, but something happened at the gig last night in Edinburgh. Oh, yeah. So um, <laughs> I take the mick out of everyone, as the title suggests. And when I hmm. do gigs in Scotland, obviously I get to do a load of stuff about the SNP that I wouldn't, there yeah, really yeah. would be no point doing in, in, in England. So I've got like a, a, effectively an extra five or 10 minutes that I really look forward to. And I always strategically place it 
I think just out of a sense of fairness, even in England, you start with the Tories because they're in government and that's where basically the news mm-hmm. is. Then I move on to Labour. Anyway, halfway through the second half, so I'm like well over an hour into the show at this point. I mean, I think even an hour and a half in, I start doing SNP stuff. Now, some of you listeners that follow Scottish politics will know there's a whole scandal about some ferries that still mm. haven't, you know, still aren't seaworthy yet. The contract was given to an SNP supporter. Crucial clauses were left out of the contract that would have protected the taxpayer. The cost of these things has spiralled. They're still not ready. I mean, the, it's a t- scandal isn't the word. It's a disgraceful waste of taxpayers' money, and it was given to a supporter of the party. I mean, it's effectively corruption. Anyway... Mm. <laughs> Nicola Sturgeon went to the launch of one of these ferries five years ago and it's still not ready. I mean, this is the state the ferry was in. The hull was the wrong shape. The windows weren't even real. They were painted on to look like real windows. This is the state (laughs) of it, right? So I'm just describing this. This guy who's literally sat on the front row. Now, this is at the stand in Edinburgh. As you know, a claustrophobic comedy club. You're really on top of it. The stage is tiny. You basically just stood on a podium. He's right at the front. He starts sort of shuffling in his seat and stands up to go. I said... Do you work in the shipping industry? Is this like triggering for you? And he went, I'm Scottish and you're an asshole. And walks out, walks out from the front. He had to like, you know, the the tables and chairs are so close. It took him ages to get to the back of the room. It's one of the funniest things that has ever happened to me. I think, you know, I've had similar experiences elsewhere in that he probably deep down realises that the SNP are in power there and are a legitimate target. And even on the way to the gig, he's probably told himself that Matt Ford... He's going to do so. But the sight of an Englishman on stage, on his fucking manner, he weren't having it. <laughs> we waited for me afterwards and we're apologising, saying, oh, I'm so sorry he doesn't represent us, you know. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's really embarrassed everyone here. It was mortifying. For, I mean, it was really, really funny. And obviously it just, mm. like, gave, just created such an amazing atmosphere. So in a way, it kind of, it, it transformed the gig, you know, into a gig into, oh my God, you know, it made it feel way more dangerous. It made me look way more edgy and provocative than I really am. I think we both benefit from that on some levels <laughs> with our opinions. I mean, you thinking that Tony Blair was a good prime minister, me voting for the other mainstream political party in Britain. I mean, we're just fucking, we're off our heads, mate. We're off our heads. Well, I mean, you are, you are talking. I know that the, you're, you're back in uh, Edinburgh tonight, which will have already gone by the time this comes out. Any, any in the immediate future people should buy tickets for? Yes, so I'm in um, Glasgow may well have gone by the time this goes out, but um, Leicester, um, oh God, Northampton, I'm doing the Bloomsbury Theatre on Saturday the 23rd of April, that's the big one to plug, but Nottingham coming up, Um, if you go to mattford.com, all the dates are on there, I'm trying to remember some of the others, Bath, Bristol... Well, we'll plug a few more uh, a bit later in the show. Um, I am this weekend, I'm in Wolverhampton on Thursday. So that'll be Thursday, the what, 31st of March? Yeah, 31st of March. That's the one's getting close to sold out. Then on the Friday, I'm in Worthing. And I'm on the Saturday, I'm in Portsmouth. So we will be talking today. There's a few stories coming up that I'll be uh, picking Matt's brain on. Of course, we've got the party gate fines, which are starting to be issued. Uh, we've, we're going to talk generally about the state of the two main parties because I always want to hear what Matt thinks about that. And then just a little bit on uh, Joe Biden and just you know whether or not he's fit for office and whether this you know just the fact that he seems to clearly not know shit from Clay is something we should give specific attention to. Attention to as a planet. Um, you just quickly on the Will Smith one. I know that obviously as comedians, you probably your phone was ringing off the hook from uh, radio stations. Hey, Matt, it's uh, Clara from Chat Radio here. I just uh, just wanted to know whether you think that... that who, what do you think I'm going to think? What? Yeah, just slap the fuck out of comedians when they... 
I think I think you can pretty much guess uh, the the reaction. Um, but it, it was an incredible event to wake up for. And, you know, there is a thing about being a com- comedian where you are effectively, I mean, like, not I'm a big union man, but you are implicitly in a union, right? That's your thing. You see comedians as perhaps closer to you than, than any other people in some ways, even family. Um, but what happened afterwards? I mean, like it was an emotional moment. I mean, just the fact that he just 10 minutes later, he had a little cry and he thanked some people and he got an ovation. That, I don't know about you, I just found that incredible. I think it really shows how, not fickle, but people are so deferential to status and power and fame. Yeah. And the guy has gone on telly and assaulted someone. I mean, mm. he should have been arrested. Yeah. If that happened in a bar in Nottingham, you'd be nicked for that. But, I mean, yeah, it was astonishing. I mean, what it was was, yeah, we talk a lot about uh, kind of racial privilege and stuff like that. He's, the privilege there was that he's the biggest movie star in the world. Right, so there's two things that happened. One was that people probably did think it was a setup initially, but then it quite clearly fucking wasn't, uh, apart from a certain corner of Twitter. And um, and yeah, it was. So it wasn't just that they didn't throw him out or that no action was taken. It was that they were moments later venerating him, and all he had to do was thank Serena Williams. It seemed that was <laughs> that was the moment he got him back. I want to thank Serena. Yeah, Serena. We all, everyone likes Serena. I, I found it quite. And the footage of him later, I don't, you know, so he's supposed to be quite sort of, uh, he's supposed to be quite shocked at his behaviour. And then this footage emerges of him at a nightclub, not only having a great time, I mean, like pr- the best time I've seen anybody have in a while, but singing his own shitty rap songs to a nightclub of sycophants. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't I mean, look... <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, obviously, they can't not then give him the award if he's won it. So then they're stuck. You know, there would have yeah. been someone there going, oh, fucking hell, he's won. He's going to yeah. get back up there. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so mad that he wins. It's just incredible. So then you're then stuck in a course of action where you're like, oh, my God, we can't not give it to him now because he slapped Chris Rock. It's too late. Yeah. You can't go and the winner is, oh, um, actually, um, we can't do this one today. There's something, you know, you're basically stuck having to give him an award. The winner is ne- next bloke. Next bloke wins. Next bloke yeah. down the, the other, the Cumberbatch, whatever. I don't know. Someone someone in a serious film with a pretentious title. <laughs> the power of the dog, the smell of the cat. I don't know. It's usually something like that. I mean, it did it did bring to mind. The, the one thing I would say is like he, he's defending his wife there. Uh, you know, she is a, a powerful and wealthy woman. You can't take that away. Um it's not like she doesn't still look incredible. I think a lot of people wouldn't have known that she had alopecia. I can't say whether or not Chris Rock did. If he did know that and did that joke, that was definitely a strategic error, right? That, that, was, a, that was a poor decision. But one thing it has done, I think, is really laid down the gauntlet for husbands everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, partners, husbands, are you going gonna to say something? Are you going to... You're gonna, oh, for fuck's sake, Will. Do you know what I mean? Could you not have just had a stern word or just made a cutting at the throat gesture or something that people could have... I mean, now, that, that's what... In a way, though, Matt, it, do, it does expose... I mean, this is what most people think, and it does expose something, is that we have the sort of, uh, you know, bubble thinking that would, would always say violence is never acceptable, of course, you know. And and it, it turns out the British public, a lot of them do think violence is acceptable. Well, of <laughs> course, yeah. I mean, yeah. we've known that for a while. <laughs> 
but but it just turns flared up just to Will Smith. <laughs> but but this is in the case of if someone makes a dodgy joke uh, uh, about your wife. But then what really surprised me was that a lot of the people defending the violence were the be kind people, the hashtag be kind. So it turns out that their you know their be kind now comes with terms and conditions that are so long. Be kind, unless you're somebody I hate, unless uh, you've insulted somebody who I think is a hashtag queen. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of hypocrisy out there. But but that was always the way, you know, the, the, what people mean is be kind to me and people like me. Uh, yeah. And of course, you know, I agree with that. I want you to be kind to me and people like me. But a lot of the people, it was the same that you saw in the Corbyn years. A lot of the people who preached peace were sharing platforms with terrorists. A lot of the people who <laughs> talked about... Um, equality were nepotists. You know, I mean, th- that sort of contradiction exists. Mm. It's just obviously particularly irksome when people sell themselves as morally superior because then they have to, for their own integrity, reach a higher standard. And we are all human beings. This is part of the problem is they set themselves up as better and inevitably, it, anyone who, you know, it's a fundamental character flaw on both sides. One, to be, want to be seen as a really good person. I think that mm. instinct is peculiar. In fact, I find it sinister when people are like, I mean, there are people that sort of brief ahead. Oh yeah, I'm the nicest guy in film mm. or whatever. You just think that's, I think that's mad. I think mm. that's, yeah. rather than the most talented or whatever. And if you're nice, people will get a sense of it. That desire to be seen as nice almost exclusively comes from people who aren't. Because why else would you want to overcorrect and have it mm. out there that you were a nice person? I think most people see life as complex. We all are occasionally prone to jealousy, anger, negative behaviour of some sort. And we're philosophical about the, the, you know, the, the scale on what's acceptable or not. It's always the people who pretend to be no, nice. No, no, and, and we worst. know that. And sadly, we know that all too well from working uh, in show business. I mean, that that's why I, you know, I come at it. On, you know, my thing is I'm a, I'm a bit of a bastard. But <laughs> what, what that does is it creates such fundamentally low expectations. All I can ever do is exceed those. I don't yes. know why these people, they don't, it's such a high pedestal to put, to put yourself on. that There really is only one direction, isn't there? Oh, speaking of One Direction, did you see uh, Liam Payne? <laughs> oh, uh, man. I would just say that because I know that not everyone that listens uh, to this show is, is kind of as obsessed with social media as yeah. I am and some of the guests are. But my God, go and find this clip of Liam Payne. It's so strange. Uh, he sort of is asked a question about what he'd seen unfold on the stage. And he also starts speaking in that kind of way that... You know when an English person is speaking to somebody who also maybe is not English, their favouritist language. But not only that, he speaks in this this florid way and I just want to take the love from the situation. And I, you know what, mate, someone in his family, where's he? He comes from Doncaster or something, doesn't he? Wolverhampton, I think. Wolverhampton. Somebody from Wolverhampton, get on a fucking plane, come and bring him home, give him a slap because he has spent far too long in California chatting utter, utter shit. Uh, I mean, Especially he was like Steve McLaren. He did. <laughs> he did sound like Steve McLaren. I think that what. Let's just be honest as well. At a time when we've spoken about plague, poverty, and war, we're all glad that it happened. <laughs> I mean, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Let's just what the slap or the interview. Yeah, I mean, I thought the slap was uh, the slap was wrong, but that doesn't mean I'm not glad that it happened. It was something else to talk about. Do you know what? I find it, I find any sort of chaos really um, profoundly unsettling. It makes mm. me feel really nervous. So when he slapped him, once you realise it's not a setup, I, it, I find it really distressed. I'm, I'm a real ponce when it comes to stuff like this. Mm. And I just think I can't, 
Oh, because I immediately think, is that the first time he's done that? You know, no. you just immediately think, if you're prepared to do that on telly, what do you do when mm. the cameras aren't there? Like, you just can't help feel that. And I just immediately feel sorry for anyone who's getting slapped around the face, even if it's Chris Rock. It's humiliating, you know, well, wouldn't it? I just think, oh, God, it's horrible. The thought of... Maybe it's because I've been punched in the face a few times. It's really not a pleasant experience. No, you know? it's and not. I just think, I immediately like... I mean, I don't even like it when people boo at football matches. I'm just like, oh, God. No, no, I'm, I'm all the same as you. I'm, all my initial reactions are exactly the same as yours. But then a little while later, and I realised that there's something to talk about, the absolute yeah. cynic in me. I mean, I well, there was this thing where you see there's a moment after he slaps him, then Will Smith goes and sits back down. They have the, the famous exchange of keep your wife, my wife's name out of your mouth. And then there's just this pause. You can see where Chris Rock realises what's been taken from him. Like just a little bit of him was taken. Because it was a proper bitch slap, wasn't it? It was, it was humiliating and he had to go. And I was sort of thinking, and I, t- I tweeted this, was that... You know, we've all been through that as comics. Sadly for me, my story was in Chippenham and it was a function room at Holiday Inn. And um, there was a guy who, Jeff Whiting, the famous uh, promoter of Murph Control, and Jeff had been on. We were doing a double hander. So De- Jeff had sort of tagged me in. So this guy, so J- basically the guy had said to him, because he was bald, he said, nice haircut, shame you forgot to bring it, right? Old line, but a good line. It's a funny line. And um, so this guy, uh, evidently there's some sort of deep-seated reason why he's bald, some stress-related thing he's gone through. So he goes and just drinks whiskey at a bar. They only found this out after. And then he comes and stands right at the front of the stage. And, he, and I said, all right, because I hadn't seen this unfold. So I said, what are you standing for there, mate? He went, what do you think's going to happen next? I went, well, I think everyone in the room's going to think you're a cunt. And everyone like burst out laughing and applauding. And then, then he, yeah, he, he, he went for me. And I didn't understand because I didn't know what the first... Uh, the thing oh was, my but God, when you say went for you, what try to physically? Well, yeah, yeah, you? yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I'm ashamed to admit that I kind of just sort of pranced around the stage, avoiding him because he, he was a bit older and I was a bit more nimble. And um, Mate, that's the best thing to do. It's better than you currently doing this from B Wing in Belmarsh. Do you know what I mean? If you'd have punched <laughs> him and killed him, do you know what I mean? Things can go really badly wrong. It's far yes. better to have pranced than have yeah. killed. But there is your manly thing, you know. I just got to be honest. That manly thing of going, I wish I'd love to have punched him in the fucking face. Of course, of course. Yeah. But I, 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 this is something that I think is like a good life lesson. It's better to regret that than to be sat in a prison cell going, I wish I'd just pranced around the stage. You're such a sensible person. I think we should all take. <laughs> no, we should all take. On. No, no, I really mean it. We should take your advice <laughs> and, and and not mine, and just hold on to hold on to the bit of this. I mean, one thing is when I speak to my wife about this, and of course, many women do experience violence, sadly. But for a, for a lot of blokes, you'd have been punched in the, the face more in your life. You would just. And what happens to you afterwards is so astonishing. Like the redness and the heat that comes up, and the adrenaline that gets released is the most astonishing thing. Like your senses become so fucking uh, uh, attuned, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not that necessarily. I was never. I was never a great fighter. I could. What I could do is I could get people in headlocks. I was really good at getting people in well, that's headlocks. That's good. You neutralise the target a little bit, but then after a while, they panic for a while because it's a panicky feeling. But when they realise is that their head is near your bollocks, and so are their fists. <laughs> so they just <laughs> they just start pummeling your bollocks. There's nothing I'm you can biting. do. About it. Yes, yeah, well, biting would, would be the worst. So, uh, so look, I, I think, well, you know, it's been hard to judge what most people think about the Will Smith thing. I, th- I think it's pretty 
pretty split, uh, and I think that there's certainly a, a new sort of code of code of protocol for husbands everywhere. Let's just welcome um, uh, some new patrons. Just to remind patrons that there is an online gig coming up on April uh, the 13th. It will be me and one other act, which I'm still uh, booking. There's a Patreon only. Uh, episode of this podcast coming out Thursday and we have two VIP patrons who always get announced straight at the top of the show and I always try and speculate on what their names mean for these so what kind of guy is they Martin Green does Martin Green is a name if I was to speculate who he is in life it just sounds like a goalkeeping coach at League One Club he does obviously Green is uh, quite a leading surname politically Mm. Mm. so you think oh is he Eco-conscious? Is he, oh. uh, you know, is he against single-use plastic? Or is he a weed dealer with a with a reputation? <laughs> Martin Green. <laughs> you know what? He subscribed to your podcast, so I think the opposite. I think he is like, I think he, I think he loves single-use plastic, and I think he thinks climate change is a hoax. Well, what's interesting, I find with with with, with right wingers, it, I think pound for pound, they probably are more likely to do drugs. I don't know why. Like, there's a strange, maybe there's some sort of point where the the libertarian thing intersects with their views on law and order, and they <laughs> they're probably the same people that would get really annoyed about kids kind of making noise outside their house while they're also just chopping out lines after a dinner party, you know? And then suddenly realise that actually if it weren't for those kids, we wouldn't have these drugs, you know? That's a really good point. What? Um, <laughs> what? Who's more likely to do drugs, left-wing or right-wing people? Because then you, I, left-wing people go, oh, they go, like, if we're doing just cliches, right, and ones that yeah. aren't necessarily... You'd say, oh, well, they're all at Glastonbury doing weed or whatever, or, yeah. you know, all these... Doing weed. <laughs> is that not the phrase anymore? That's the guy. That's coming from... Like, doobs. <laughs> <laughs> Having a doobie. And yeah, doing the weed. Bed. Yeah, they're at Glastonbury doing the weed. Yeah, yeah, I think I think what I would say is probably, because left-wing people tend to be younger, in a sheer numbers game, it would be left of centre. I think as people get older, and I just think pound for pound, people would be surprised at how many... Uh, well, look at the recent Tory leadership election, for fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah. Just a load of gack monsters, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> gack monsters. Uh, we've also got uh, Jonathan Kemp here. Jonathan Kemp sounds like he writes really twee novels about English rural life. The new well, again, novel. Kemp sounds like hemp. So John- <laughs> you, I almost sort of see him in, like, hessian clothes. And Jonathan, John- as well, is a very, like, if you were to invent a Guardian, if you had an algorithm that yeah. created Guardian journalists, Jonathan Kemp's name would be overrepresented. We've got our super patron, David Domain. So uh, this guy, is, he's, he, he, we have a thing called the Domain Talking Point because his surname's Domain. Domain. Oh, nice, no. nice. I'll do formats. And uh, we spoke about Weatherspoon last week, and I basically just my thank you last week was just for the Weatherspoon's breakfast. As, as there's been rapid inflation in so many foods, I went there, I had a £4.50 breakfast, and it was absolutely lovely. And uh, so I just thought we should celebrate that. And David Domain yeah. said, the great thing about Weatherspoon's is just about every town across Britain has one. In 2021, the company had 854 pubs in the UK and seven in the Republic of Ireland. There are no Weatherspoon's pubs in any of the free Crown dependent as yet the number has dropped a little in the last few years but it's still higher than the 731 pubs the company the company ran uh, in 2009 so let's just hear for what you mean 40 i mean i don't have to sell weatherspoons to you I, i'm sure you know the value of uh, a, a stag do breakfast the following day right oh man but also the sunday roast uh, i used to yeah. go to the weatherspoons in surbiton all the time the coronation hall for a great sunday roast 
I'd get the sachets of the mint sauce and put it on the roast potatoes. I mean, in terms nice. of value, it's superb because so many, um, I mean, the price of a pint in so many pubs. You know what? This is yeah. mad. This is mad. <laughs> I went to a Weatherspoons the other night in Birmingham after I'd done the Glee Club. I had a pint of bitter. And this was the one I wanted, right? I was like, oh, I yeah. love that. Really nice bit of that, like. I've forgotten the name of it. It was 99p. It was less than, Jeez. and I said, is that, are you sure? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's an offer. Less than a pound a pint in 2022 in Britain's second city. I mean, what was that else? cheap in the 80s? It, it, of course it wasn't. I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> it just apps. I, I, so this, I think it was Ruddles I was drinking. It, it, oh my God. I, I, Can you say that name again? Name Ruddles. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's Ruddles. tricky from a man from the East Midlands. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. 99p. So whatever else, you know, obviously about the bloke mm. who runs it. Let's not get into that. But in terms of the product. You, or you, like mean what, you mean what a legend he is, the bloke who runs it. Like what an absolute nailed on, clear thinking top bloke. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, it's almost like Murdoch. You're like, whatever I think of him, Sky Sports is an excellent product. And you almost need to like love the art, not the artist. Like, love the pub, yeah, not yeah. the public. The Times like, is a good <laughs> newspaper. Some brilliant columnists. Um, while we're in the mood for giving thanks, uh, thank you and a fuck you. Have you got something you're grateful first uh, for first this week? Oh, man. You know what? Oh, this is so sad. Free biscuits in hotel rooms. Oh, man. What a I'm treat. There. What a treat. Mm. I mean, you know, we talked about this with your, you know, mate. I would have taken game. a free biscuit the other week at the Travelodge. <laughs> These ones, in fact, I've got them right here. Let's have a look. These Any, ones. I mean, yeah, some Michelle Gallets. I mean, it's a bit pretentious for what it is, but the, <laughs> but let, let's give them a bit of credit. What hotel are you in? Who, who's doing this for you? Oh God, um, <laughs> Hotel Devan. <laughs> fucking ponce. Posh gun. Hotel Devan, you changed, man. Oh, oh, no. I'm not sure I have, you know. <laughs> Go on. You know what? It's just of course you're getting nights. a free biscuit with a Hotel Devan. Oh, it's man, part I of the 240 like quid you're paying a night for the room. Feel, you know what? I feel like Rishi Sunak now. He's got to drive a VW Golf. <laughs> like, what are the cars? Oh, Land Rover, Lexus, a Ferrari. <laughs> like, oh, I'm just staying in a hotel in Scotland. I mean, can oh, we, can, I if I was Rishi, I would just go, yeah, I'm a bit rich. Can everyone just deal with exactly. that and move on? Just fucking own it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and biscuits, I would say this, in, in a hotel, if you're putting a biscuit in my room, you cannot get below a three-star rating from me, even if there's a shit on the floor in the toilet. That's just three-star. That's your base level. Well, that's a dip, isn't it? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the same as getting like an after eight in an Indian. Okay, that's guaranteed three-star. It just do. I don't understand why companies don't un, don't perceive like the positive effects of doing this. Free biscuits, man. Borders are my favourite ones. Borders, raspberry and white chocolate. Oh my god! It's the same when you're travelling on a train and you get anything, anything free ever. Yeah, is great. Yeah. While you're on the road, because you kind of go, <sighs> I'll go with those biscuits you just got. I'll go. I'll have those after the gig. Yeah, I'll have that, that's that exactly. Yeah. I don't want to get a whole packet of biscuits. Do you know what I mean? Life on the road, ladies and gentlemen. Life on the road. I mean, the thing we we're, we're actually getting quite happy talking about. That. That's, uh, I think we're institutionalised. Uh, and what is the fuck you? What is the fuck you this week? Yeah, I'm tempted to pick that guy who said I'm Scottish and mm. you're an arsehole, but he he, he did me such a favour yeah. that I can't pick him. I would pick. Oh my god! Can we just say one thing about him? Is that this is one of the benefits and one of the problems with the SNP? Is he sort of wrapped up his Scottishness in that party? That's what they benefit from. So how they govern, how all of the, the, the kind of scandals, the incompetence, I mean, the, the thing of Alex Salmon, 
it's basically they've wedded it to this idea that if you love being Scottish, you have to vote for. I mean, it's just, it's genius, but it, it lets them get away with a multitude of sins. But also, it's just, and it, they're not the only political party that's happened to them. I mean, you saw it with Corbyn, where like if you were attacking Corbyn, you were attacking these people personally. Mm. It was almost like some people who are very sensitive about their faith get. And it's the same with that, was that it was a, it, me taking the mick out of a ferry that had fake windows was a direct attack on this guy's personality. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, they couldn't hear any criticism. Um, the, the fuck you this week, and this drives me mad, train reservation systems, right? They're, yeah. they're all, they're, they have to be run properly because you get a reserved seat. And I go on the seat map, and I'm very specific about the sort of seat I like. I only ever sit on a two table. I only ever sit on a two table. I never sit on a four. I always get one not too close to the toilet, but not too far and not too far from the luggage rack either. Like it's every, you know, I really pick the best seat I can get my hands on. All right, Goldilocks. <laughs> if, they, if, they, if the system hasn't updated, then you, you're basically in chaos. So the mm. problem is, is what if someone sat in your seat? What right do you have to say, oh, I've got this reserved if they say the reservations are cancelled? There was a poor guy on the train up yesterday. The train had to stop at York. We had to all get off at York. It's the London to Edinburgh service. We had to all mm. get off at York and get on a new train. The reservations on that train had not updated. There was this poor guy who sat in a seat when we all get on and this couple get on and say, oh, sorry, you're in our seat. Now, on the reservation thing, it's a green light. It says not reserved. He moved. And then someone else did it to him. This poor guy was getting bounced around the carriage <laughs> and he was the sweetest guy. And I felt like saying, I felt like sticking up for him going, mate, you've got every, you had more rights to that seat than they did. Because if, if all else fails, you were there first. That has to be the rule in life, doesn't it? I was here first. That's why cues work. If nothing, yeah. if no other system exists, first come, first served. And I just thought to the people that kicked him out, oh, and the other fucking thing. The, so I'm sat, I managed to get a seat because I am like fucking speed lightning getting off a truck. When this, when this like systems yeah. we had, I know how to, I drift to the front. I'm a little rat at getting through like gaps and holes and everything. And um, then the couple sat in front of him. The guy was watching EastEnders full blast. This guy's like in his 60s. On his phone, yeah. no headphones. So I was trying to do the kind of like, ah, oh. but I didn't have the guts to take him on. I like, mean, it's literally... amazing. The contrast between how furious you were and how you tried to manage the situation. Oh, no. You literally just knocked the mic because you got so angry at what happened. Then you went, <laughs> so I tried to do the, ah. Oh. I mean, let's be honest, right? There are rules of with teenagers. You go, right, a group of teenagers there, they're all of 17. If they decide to beat me up, they could. If it's one guy who's 60... I think I think you got I think you've got to say something. Unless he's one of those double hard bastards from back in the day. He looked double hard. He looked really uh, hard. Well, he looked he looked like um one of those guys off like those bare knuckle boxer documentaries where you're like, <laughs> oh man, he's he's been involved in some bad so, shit. Someone who met Danny Dyer on camera. One of those yes, guys. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those guys that can like knock you out with a one inch punch or something. I was just like, I'm gonna have to sit and suffer this. Well, no, uh, you're you're speaking my language on so many things here, and that was one of the most uh, impassioned fuck yous we've had for some time all right let's get into the first uh, subject we're going to be talking about well basically about the the parties at the moment but leading with what's happened recently with the party gate fine
Okay, so uh, just before, well, a couple of hours before we sat down to record this, we get the news leaked or revealed, or like from the Met Police that the first fines are being issued somewhere between fifteen and twenty fines for uh, breaking the the issue, the guidelines or the law at that time, and having parties at number ten while they were telling everybody not to do stuff. Uh, we don't know who the fines are to. We may not ever know that. Uh, number ten have said that if Boris gets one, they will reveal it, which is either that they kind of know that he hasn't got one or it's a sort of power play, like, do you really want to change the fucking Prime Minister with your little fine? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's we didn't expect this. Did we expect this this week? Is this ahead of time? I'm not sure. But it's, I mean, it's amazing that at least 20 have been. Yeah. Like, if you were to say there's a central London terraced house housing 20 criminals... Pretty Patel would have been like having a photo call outside with a battering ram and a load of coppers in stab vests. It's you know it's gonna it's gonna get added to like those London crime walks and shit now. It's like, yeah, yeah. like a house of you know it's just incredible. These people are breaking the law at a time when breaking the law helped spread a virus that killed people. I mean, I still don't think he really appreciates how livid people are. And the you know the most livid people I meet are conservatives. Mm. Mm. The most livid people because the sense of betrayal is so profound and they are just gone with rage. It took conservatives and me included to a place where, you know, you have your tribal instincts and you try and it always means that you end up defending things sometimes where it might be a bit of gymnastics to do so. But I think for a lot of conservatives, they found that line where they couldn't defend it. And they were like, oh, fuck, I've got to agree. I've yeah. got to agree with the people that annoy the crap out of me. This is really annoying. <laughs> How dare you make me, uh, make me agree with James O'Brien? But, yeah, I mean, is it that they're dipping their toe in the water? This is a kind of a strange thing to say. Well, here's the first 20. We'll see how this plays out. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very strange approach to things, like an investigation that was carried out via questionnaire, uh, and interview. Apparently, there's a, the Met Police have got a sensitive crime squad. So that's kind of like, I guess, for crimes that might, where the judgment might have an impact on the wider community, perhaps, which is a strange thing to weigh up when you're sort of uh, sort of imposing the law. Yeah, it <laughs> I mean, should be, literally. Should be implied le- uh, equally, shouldn't it? Without fear or favour. I love the fact that this is like drip, drip, like a TV mm. show, where they're basically like, just let them sweat it out a bit. We'll do the first 20, let the rest of them lose a bit of sleep, then they'll start speaking. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's amazing yeah. watching this happen at the heart of the UK government. And it's really, I mean, if he has got a fixed penalty notice and he doesn't mm. resign, I just think it's, inc- I mean, I don't think he will, if he does get one, I don't think he will resign, by the way. I think he'll try and mm. style it out. His instincts is to obviously cling on for as long as possible. And I understand that. Um, but to have a prime minister. <laughs> penalty notice for breaking the law man what a world we're living in then also if he doesn't go i mean think of all these things have reactions way into the future i mean Mm. look at and i know iraq's a very different thing but look at what that did to particularly the british left and foreign policy and that you know the effect that had in syria effectively paralyzing our ability to take action against assad Mm -hmm. when he used chemical weapons against children all these things will have reactions. And if you have a prime yep. minister with a criminal record who doesn't resign, you are creating not just in the short term a problem where the public are outraged, but in the long term, what do you say about the standards that have to be at, at the heart of government? You're basically saying, oh, it's OK to be a bit of a criminal as long as we like you. But also what you give them is is a one word stick to beat you with. So expenses scandal i mean that is often forgotten actually but that had a deep you know the most of the people that did uh, prison time for that were labor mps 
um, you know, tuition fees, where you can just say two words and it reminds people why they shouldn't vote for you. Partygate, yeah. you know. So well, this that's is it. that's why actually that's a really good point. It shouldn't be partygate. It should be criminal record. Partygate party makes fun, it sound though. well. It makes it sound like a product. It sounds like something you'd buy on like QVC or something like. No barbecue is complete without a partygate. Or, or if you're if you're having a party for toddlers. You can have up to seven toddlers in a room with confidence with the new party <laughs> gate from JML. Uh, yeah, it does sound fun. Here's the thing. So I, I agree with word. you. And I would, if I was kissed, I would ram it down his throat. He is mm. a criminal. The prime minister is a criminal. Over yeah. and over and over again. He lied. He broke the law. He mm. lied while people died. I mean, I just don't think Labour have gone anywhere near big enough on it. I think mm. really go, go to town to the point where you're pushing the boundaries of what's tasteful really yeah. get in their faces with he it. lied why people died i mean that is yeah and just go I'm... criminal criminal not liar criminal criminal crook criminal posters but you criminal on but you know go how social it. media works Fordy. what would happen then is that keir starmer would trend for probably the annoying way that he says criminal that's maybe, how it would work maybe <laughs> but it's not all about social media as david cameron taught us twitter isn't britain no, no and no. social media has one thing i think it would cut throughout i would have billboards yes, yeah, i everywhere think you're right in every marginal seat criminal and just stuff it down his lying mouth <laughs> but he i mean the, the polls seem to, we'll get onto the polls generally, but is this now priced in? Is there anybody, you know, Boris supporter or otherwise, that doesn't think that rules were broken, that doesn't think that the Prime Minister broke laws and, 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 and also lied about it? So there's the criminal, as you say, dimension. But in terms of their position uh, with the general public, is there any further that they can fall in the polls? Because Ukraine has, you know, Johnson has performed reasonably well in the public's view uh, on Ukraine. And there is that, and it certainly happened with me, in, in, the, in the white heat of Partygate, I was like, out, he's got to go. And then it seemed almost bizarre. When, when, we go, when we've gone back to discussing this and the photo of, oh, that, that Zoom quiz, actually, there was a glass of Prosecco. It, it's not petty, it really is meaningful, but it's very hard to still summon up my mid-February rage, man. <laughs> I, can't get, I can't get back to that place. Well, of course not, because that's what we're like as human beings is, you know, you, the, there's the white heat of any row. And in time that dissipates if the person mm. doesn't go. That's just the reality of it. That's just how we're made as a species. I don't think that's necessarily a reflection of whether he should go or not. And as for it being priced in, one of the main reasons Boris Johnson is prime minister is, is because Jeremy Corbyn was leading the Labour Party. I was leading it after Ed Miliband led it. The only thing keeping Boris Johnson in Downing Street is the Labour Party. Once the Labour Party is ready to win an election again, all this stuff about being priced in completely transforms because people will go, there's a better candidate to be prime minister. That's a party that would run the country better. All the stuff about priced in evaporates the moment you have a Labour Party ready to win an election. So what's happened with the uh, approval reigns, which is interesting, I think, is that the, the polls have narrowed in terms of Westminster voting intention. Not, not to the point of parity, but they have narrowed. But Johnson's approval rating has gone up uh, dramatically and Starmer's has fallen back quite significantly as well. And it does feel like the only time since Starmer was leader that he really, the force was with him, was when he was being what he is, which is a QC. He was on his feet several weeks in a row. He nailed PMQs. And that was the only time where he seemed convincing, when, is when he's cross-examining, effectively. When he has to drive the argument, when he has to look 
when he, I mean, I mentioned this in your podcast. When he has to look straight down the barrel, there's just a, something odd. And maybe, maybe there is an issue with Stom is that he, he, he's only been an MP since 2015. People forget this. He's, he is, he is quite a meteoric rise in a way. He feels like he's been around longer. I mean, that's the thing that I wonder. Like, you know, when you sort of talk about changing a football manager, there's a point where, well, if you change it after that, it's irrelevant. I, if they can't, once this is all said and done, right? You know, once the fines are out, if Boris is either resigned or if they can't establish a significant lead they have to ask themselves the question if he can't do it now can he do it at a general election if he can't then maybe somebody else should have a go yeah i mean obviously the 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 mountain he's got to climb is so big no Mm. labor leader has had to overcome a defeat like that since 1935 so he's probably not going to win the next general election because nobody who runs the labor party would win the next election and you have to remember that even the fact that Labour are polling ahead really is a revelation given the last 12 years. So Mm. actually, this is huge progress. It's not enough to just say, oh, well, there's a bit of volatility and he's fallen back. The fact that you've even got a Labour leader that can poll ahead of a Tory... They they led under Miliband. They led under Miliband. At times they did, yeah. He never led on leadership. Miliband never led on leadership or the economy. And of course, Mm. Corbyn's... um, uh, approval ratings were appalling. So the fact that you've even got a Labour leader that people are even half considering his progress, he's had to do it during <laughs> an unprecedented global crisis where, of course, the public don't give a toss who the new leader of the Labour Party is. They're worried, oh, I'm, am I going to die? Are my loved ones going to die? And am I going to be forced to choose between catching a lethal virus or paying the rent? And obviously, they're things that the government handled really well. So... <laughs> Of course, the Labour Party have not really featured in the public's mind. The moment they do, they poll well. But again, now you're dealing with, in some of the public's view, the precipice of a global war. And of course, again, those instincts return. You look to the people in government. You're not thinking about what's going on in Westminster, really. So he's had a difficult time. But equally, that's no excuse for not modernising the Labour Party. Now, he's done some of that by kicking out racists, which should be a bare minimum of Labour Party membership, is that you are not a racist. Yeah, I mean, that feels fair. Yeah, I, I mean, like, be controversial. I, mean, I, I, I think there's probably even right wing, far right political parties that at least have that in their uh, constitution. They at least yes. say you shouldn't be racist in, yeah. in the BNP. So, yeah, it feels like that's reasonable. Yeah. But yes, I'm, I'm certainly impatient to see Labour being effectively. Everyone knows what Labour needs to do. They need to be like new Labour again. That's what wins elections is being on that centre left, being tough on crime, pro-business, strong on foreign policy, strong on defence, very strong on public services, which they always are. Um, Mm. That mixture of policies is where Labour wins elections. It's entirely up to the Labour Party if it wants to go there or not. And as much as Keir Starmer is moving them incrementally in that direction, that election is going to come around very fast. Mm. Well, the um, other thing that might happen as well, and, and, and this, is, this is not necessarily his fault, but Labour did reasonably well in the 2018 locals, right? So local elections are based on what went before. They're almost like GDP. So it, it, even if he does well, it's going to be hard for him to show dramatic improvement for, from that position. They're not going to be able to gain that many more councils. And if you look, like sad fucker I am, at the Britain elects local council results, I mean, they're based on quite small samples of small turnouts. The movement, you know, against the Conservatives and for Labour isn't massive. Now, that may be that Conservatives are more likely to get out and vote in smaller numbers. But is it going to be hard for him to, to show real progress in May? Well, probably yes, because of, because of all the things we've described, is that people really aren't thinking about party politics for the last... Basically, since Boris Johnson became Prime Minister, it, mm. after that election, COVID hit, and that has 
dominated the planet. So, of course, people aren't really thinking about the local elections or whether Keir Starmer's better than Boris Johnson. So that's a, that's a huge problem he's got. I mean, what I would say is, <laughs> t- you know, at any point in the electoral cycle, oppositions are meant to do well in local mm. elections. The government takes a beating in, traditionally, European elections, local elections and by-elections. It's only because Labour have been in the gutter, you know, that the, the Tories were doing well even in in these so these are elections actually that labor should be doing well in these are the mm. elections certainly once you've had a government that's been in for 12 years and the prime minister's under police investigation of course you should be doing better so i'm sort of slightly contradicting myself i think it's been very difficult for keir starmer but that's not an excuse to not modernize the labor party and do the hard work because there how is far, an election coming regardless of a pandemic how how, how far would you go i mean he's prescribed the, I mean, this is basically what always happens on my podcast. I start off with what the Tories have done wrong, and then I kind of enjoy myself by talking about Labour's problems. You know, just sit back. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely not the biggest issue, but they are—they're the—they're the, the ones that have to improve to get to get in office. And he's prescribed yes. these parties. Do, do you know who who these parties were? All these factions within the Labour Party. He's sort of disaffiliated them effectively, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't be having. You you can't have. You know, the late the reason why the Labour Party used to be so vigilant about this was uh, parts of the Labour Party were literally taken over by militant in the 1980s. You had a party within a party. That destroys public trust in any political party. If you're seen to be beholden to any one Mm. group that isn't part of your basically offer to the public. But I think it's even more fundamental than that. It's not just about kicking out uh, extremists. Because the danger is, you say, oh, well, we've drawn under, uh, a line under Corbynism because we've kicked out a load of anti-Semites and a load of hard left. You need to talk to the public directly and say moving on from the last few years isn't just about kicking out anti-Jewish racists. It is also about moving on from the ludicrous policy positions we had. It is about reminding people who our international allies are, i.e. the European Union and America and not Iran, Russia or you know, Venezuela, you know, the, the, the regime in Venezuela. So I think he has to say to the public, this party has completely changed. And until he does that, the message just isn't going to get through. And then, of course, of course, it can't be cosmetic. You do have to actually do the change itself. What about going even further? You know, maybe you could start trolling Owen Jones, just start finding old <laughs> stuff he'd said and saying, like, this you, you know, he could dig up an Aaron Bastani tweet, just quote tweet him and just do the, you know, the eyes looking to the side, like saying, oh, this guy again. No, I think as ever, you know, your, your analysis about what the Labour Party need to do, I think is bang on. But whether or not he's got enough of a mandate at the moment, you know, he's not Blair, it's not the mid-90s, whether he's got enough of a mandate to go all the way with that, that's maybe the challenge. I think he's got the mandate. It's about whether he possesses the will. But could he piss off the left of his party? Because, I mean, he's he's swung a lot of dick. I mean, now I'm sort of defending the hard left, but he was elected on on a certain manifesto, which he's basically junked. And then he's gone harder. He waited till he got slightly ahead in the polls based on basically the Tories machine gunning their own legs off on a fucking daily basis, right? So it wasn't specifically something that he'd done. And then he's used that to really go hard at the left of his party. What if he loses that part of his electoral coalition? Well, well... It's the least important part of the electoral. What electoral coalition is it? We just lost a load of Labour safe seats. There is no electoral coalition. 
They're the one group of people he needs to get rid of. The people he needs but to get back about... are moderate Labour people and Tory voters. But what about in and terms of just activists? you're not going to get those people until you get rid of those hard left. Fuck them. Most of them aren't proper Labour people. No, they no. joined under an extremist. They joined... Now, I, I get that a lot of those people joined with um, genuine hope in their hearts and, and were animated by a, a genuine desire to change society for the better and are outraged at the inequality in our country. I do not undermine the genuine hope that a lot of those people had in Jeremy Corbyn. Hmm. Once it was clear that he was not either an effective or an appropriate vessel for that stuff, those people either have to accept that the Labour Party needs to go on a journey and you're either part of it or you're not. Otherwise, you're holding that organisation back. And the one group of people he needs to make a show of getting rid of are those people that are ideologically opposed to Labour being the mainstream party it was founded to be. It was always founded as a patriotic election-winning party. It is clause one of the Labour Party constitution to form a government. It's not a pressure group. It's not a think tank. It's not a charity. It, it, it was formed with the express intent of forming a government, not to be in opposition forever. And the only way you can do that is to, as Tony Blair said, the, the British people are the political wing of the Labour Party. That is the, that is the, that has to be the mindset. It does have to be the mindset. Oh, and no, I think sorry, the, the other way, way around. The Labour Party is the political wing of the British people, of course, otherwise that's insane. Uh, but the, I think, a bit of the dead weight. I think the way you communicate is good. I think Starmer needs to be a bit more you. So <laughs> next time that. next time he's doing a, a, a debate on telly, well, well, what about the kind of hard left of activist? Fuck him. <laughs> that's what he needs to say. <laughs> A few, a couple more patrons before we get on to talk about Joe Biden uh, to welcome Paul Fitzpatrick. Just sounds like a golfer, you know? Yeah, sounds Scottish. Scottish golfer, maybe nice tartan uh, pantaloons. Yeah, yeah, a bit, a bit, a bit rotund. Uh, oh, there's Paul Ooh, Fitzpatrick okay. on the 16th there. Paul, well, he'll be looking forward to getting into the bar, I can tell you. Uh, Helen Hookins, I mean, sound, again, sounds Scottish. Yeah, what a great name. Love alliterative names. Always very generous. Uh, they, Yes, they are. I mean, the, the problem with like with my surname, it was only really Norman Norcott, Nigel, or Nigel. Yeah, there was no upbeat. You know, there's no good options. Helen Hookins, uh, Alex Wyatt, who I think is a returning patron. So make sure that you check your accounts if you wanted to. Uh, if you want to keep being a patron and you haven't seen any notifications recently, then do check. And Neil Guy, just Neil Guy. Oh, Neil got Mister Neil Guy. That Sounds is... like an instruction, doesn't it? Neil yeah. Guy. <laughs> learn your fate yeah it's a nickname he got in prison so uh, we mentioned uh, the, the short range shows we've got coming up then looking ahead so I've got a couple of weeks off for Easter then at the end of April I've got I'm in Aberdeen on the 8th of April oh, uh, then then I'm in Manchester towards the end of the month then I'm in Southend we got dates uh, in Ipswich. We've also got Glasgow coming up and a place called Melrose 40. Do you know where Melrose is? It's a border town. But it turns out that only 5,000 people live there. So if you sort of have heard of it and you live in the vicinity, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pay travel expenses because I really hadn't thought it through. <laughs> um, any others you've got coming up later in the tour? Oh, good point, actually. So later in the tour, I'm in. Uh, I've got a run at the Soho Theatre in June. I'll be doing Edinburgh in August, the festival. I've got Exeter, Canterbury, Leeds, York, Gloucester. You can tell I've Googled it now. because When you yeah. asked me earlier, <laughs> Shrewsbury, Nottingham, Leamington, Bristol, and uh, like I say, London, Bloomsbury on the 23rd of April. 
The have you got whenever I get touring acts on, I always like to find out have you got a place where you just can't sell for love nor money? For me, uh, it, the, the, and the listeners are probably bored of hearing about it, but for me, it's Leicester. I mean, I've, I've evidently on a drunken night, I've done something. I've I've pissed on a local monument. I've I've just done something in Leicester that the town will never forgive me for. Is there a place where you, you you're still going right? Come on, I'm going to get these bastards. Right, let me find it. Let me get my um, spreadsheet up. Camberley, bloody Camberley, in Surrey. Uh, yes, yeah. So the Camberley Theatre. I'm just always like, oh man, come Why on! Why don't Camberley. they like me there? The people who come like me. Is it a bit too close to like you got all these big, like fantastic London dates? Is it that the the people in Camberley actually want to get out of Camberley? Maybe a, maybe I'm night? just not very. Maybe they just hate me. Yeah, yeah. You just I mean, don't it have really a natural. Could be, it could be there could be just a more fundamental basic truth that I need to confront, which is. They think I'm shit. <laughs> they think you're shit. But no, but it's like me. It's like I'm in a, I'm in a toxic relationship with Lester. I just keep going. <laughs> I keep going back. And, and so will Matt. So go and see Matt Ford at any of those dates, or, or, and particularly at Camberley. Come on. All right, just quickly, because I've had you a while here, and I'm conscious that time is precious. And you're in a hotel room. There's a yeah. lot of sleeping and, and stuff that you've probably got to get through today. It's just a quick one on Biden, really. Last week, um, he was talking about Russia, and he basically said something that insinuated... Well, I mean, he basically said that there needed to be regime change. He said that Putin can't remain in power in Russia. And the Russians, not unreasonably, said, sounds a little bit like regime change. And then the White House were scrambling to clarify that uh, that wasn't, you know, they hadn't suddenly extended the, the, the mission. <laughs> it wasn't mission creep to that extent. What I want to know is we spoke so much about Trump's unsuitability for office, and those were personality-based reasons and in terms of his kind of moral code. Biden is clearly unsuitable for office, but for very different reasons. Why? Why? I mean, I'm not saying no one's talking about it, but the, the noise is fairly quiet. It does seem like a lot of people basically, they hated Trump so much. What they really wanted was president, not Trump. Right. And that's who Biden is. He's president. At least he's not Donald Trump. But we're a couple of years in now and we're in a really dodgy situation. And my God, it makes me feel nervous every time that man talks now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I believe in meritocracy and I would always want the very best person for the job. And if we're being brutally honest, is he the very best candidate for president? I, I think you have to say the answer is no. However, beating Trump wasn't easy, as Hillary Clinton found out. One of the most overqualified candidates in the history of the office, someone I was desperate to see be president, and I'm still gutted for her. Um, I think very few people actually could have beaten Trump. And for the, for the, for the security, not just of America, but of the planet that change had to happen. And for, for the fabric of American society, it had to happen. And it had repercussions here. You know, what America does affects the world, and not just in terms of foreign policy, sets the tone for our debate. I mean, even our relationship with the police here is partly informed to some extent by what's happening in America. So having him as an imperfect, but nevertheless improved <laughs> um, hmm. prospect in the White House, for that reason, obviously, it, I'm just so glad he's there but yes i mean of course there are better people that should be president of the united states and um but is it a national security issue at some point i mean if he literally he doesn't have his faculties and i'm not saying it might be because of dementia or things that we don't know about yet but you have to you have to address that at some at some point you can't carry on i mean you've seen the way that 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 he it's not this isn't an an isolated incident we 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 legitimately said about trump uh well he's got he's got the nuclear codes all right now biden also has those codes and he also in my mind 
has probably an epic amount of pills that he has to take every morning. So much so he has, they're in a fucking shoebox. You know what I mean? I have to take so many pills in the morning. Yeah. Man, I've got, I have to take three pills for gout in the morning. Um, uh, One for asthma at night. Um, What else do I have to take in the morning? There's another one I'm on. Oh, antibiotics for a chest infection that I've got. I mean... You know, you attack the pill-popping community, Jeff Norcott, at your peril. I'm going to say, I started to feel bad there, and then I thought, I think there's a slight difference in terms of faculties and, and function of that medication. vitamin C supplements as well, as I'm sure Joe I does. mean, that geezer, you could fucking inject a whole vat of synagogue into him. He's not, he's not, cut, he's not cutting in 40. I, I just, I, I think that you have to have, when it comes to the next US election, this is the reason I say it, is that there was this idea, you know, with the way that they glossed over certain things with Hunter Biden, that the mainstream press were applying and certain different sort of scrutiny to both men. And look, you know, Trump acted in a certain way where you do invite that. But by the next election, if it can be shown that that people have literally turned a blind eye to a guy um, not being with it, being president, that, that's going to be a problem. It doesn't matter. I mean, it probably will be Trump, sadly, who stands, but that's going to be the case whoever the Republicans put up. I don't think Fox News have gone easy on Joe Biden. I don't think that large amounts of the American media didn't go big on Hunter Biden. I just don't think mm. they absolutely did. But and I'm talking about the stuff that I've seen on my phone here in rural Cambridgeshire, right? And I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm yeah, but the, what, the, what has the Cambridgeshire Echo said about Hunter Biden? Oh, the mate, they've been, their been silence deafening. has been deafening from the Cambridgeshire uh, Echo. I mean, look, maybe... I mean, look, Trump was prob- such an extreme... I mean, you can't lose sight of the fact that Trump was, a, was way out of the mainstream. He was an extreme politician. Mm who was involved in, you know, he was dog-whistling to QAnon conspiracy theorists, far-right white supremacists who were, who were killing people on the streets. I mean, it was off the scale. I don't think mm. there is any media coverage on earth that could really do justice to that appalling period. So of course, you can't cover Joe Biden in that way because he's not a white supremacist and he's not a conspiracy theorist. One of the things, just quickly before we just do one letter, is um, is you know that that footage, the video footage of the the summit, and there was a, a tightly clipped video to show Boris apparently being isolated on the I world stage. It. I mean, it's be- it's become a new thing at summits. Is is that you find the bit of the clip that proves what you wanted to say? When you saw the wider video, there were some people that said hello to him, some people that didn't. I mean, he did look a bit awkward, but he always looks. Awkward. I was just thinking, it's, it's a funny thing in politics now, is that knowing that that's going to happen must put a lot of pressure on those photo calls, right? Because you're thinking, I need to press some fucking flesh here, otherwise I'm going to get mugged off. Well, you know what? Being a really good actor is crucial for a politician. Mm. And there is no better example than this of, of Tony Blair. And I say that as a, people used to say it like it was an insult. But at any point, he always knew how to act. He always had that, if in doubt, have a purposeful stare. If in doubt, make it look like you're thinking about something. Obviously, the Boris, oddly, I think, what's really strange is with that clip of Boris, in a way, it kind of makes him look quite sweet. You kind of, yeah. you, you can't help but slightly feel for him because you think, oh, it's just all. He looks like a five year old boy at a party that no one likes. Yeah, and he's, in a way, he sort of he knows how to get the comedy out of it. So, in a way, his way of dealing with it is, is one of the best ways, which is to kind of play around a little bit and comedically look left to right. Yeah. 
I mean, I mentioned this last week, but I do think that there is always a danger with the Tories at the moment. Is it's such a kind of conveyor belt of attacks on them, and a lot of them are fully founded. That I do think from the left, you don't need to be making shit up currently, and I do think it detracts from the main cause. And you don't need to selectively clip a video if there is quite clearly another video out there which kind of contradicts it, because then that that backs up the idea. But I, I just think from all of us, maybe it triggers that that empathy that we've all had, where you think, God, there's certain weddings I've been at where you can make me look like the most unpopular bastard that's ever walked the earth. Yeah, that was your own wedding, wasn't it? That was my own wedding. Just nodding to people that aren't there. Do you know what I mean? Then just going, oh, like looking like, oh, I'll do a little job, actually. Oh, actually, I've actually yeah. got to reset my watch here because <laughs> I, I need... <laughs> oh, you can't help but, you know, this is the thing. Most people obviously have uh, empathy. And even yeah. if you see a prime minister that you really wish wasn't in charge of the country... If they yeah. even in a clipped video look, and he does look awkward. So obviously the awkwardness is real. Um, you kind of think, oh, I wish someone had talked to him. I wish Will Smith had go up and slap him around the face instead. Well, Joe Biden did go over and talk to him, but I think that that's only because he actually thought it was Winston Churchill. <laughs> so... Uh... <laughs> Okay, just one quick letter here. Uh, this is this is from a Will from Dunstable. It said, keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. So I have no idea what that relates to. Um, but this is uh, from Damon from Flittick, who says that... It's in Bedfordshire, Where? isn't it? Flittick. I've never heard it's of near, it. Isn't it Ampteel, I think? Um, but he says, me and my wife were totally split on the Will Smith thing, but not in the way that I thought. I think I know the way this is going to go. Um, I thought it was terrible for a man of that much wealth and privilege to manage a situation that way. But my wife, who normally hates violence, was going too bloody right. Would you do that for me? <laughs> Are women claiming they want sensitive men when actually they still want a predator? No, protector. Predator, maybe a, a protector. Um, I don't know if I can speak for all women, but I, I do think that that it's possible that women would have a different set of values when they see that situation occur in other situations. But yeah, I mean, it comes down to something quite primal, doesn't it? Why didn't you defend me? Well, you know And what? I would say, because it was just a joke. Yeah, and I think it's it was It wasn't things. a marauding horde of, of invaders. It was a joke. <laughs> also, I think it's one of those things where partly that some people might go, are you going to defend me? You better do mm. something about that. And then he does something about it. They go, oh, not like that. You know, it's almost like... <laughs> I love boxing matches, right? And I, I yeah. oh my God, I went to watch Lee Wood retain his belt the other week in Nottingham. And it, boxing is so close to that instinct because as a fan, yeah, you're yeah. there going, knock him out, knock yeah. him out. Go on, Lee, knock him. And the moment he actually knocks him out, you go, oh my God, I hope he's all right. Oh my God, what an amazing guy. <laughs> oh, he's got the heart of a lion, that bloke. Oh, I've got so much respect for him. Oh, like, oh my God, his family are watching. His family are watching. It is, yeah. I know there is that thing, and I've said I've said it before. There is a weird thing with blokes where we find violence sickening. But if we're if we're alone in hotel rooms late at night, um, epic street fight knockouts is something we've all we've all put into YouTube. You know, let's be honest. <laughs> you know what? I never have. But I'm going to do that tonight. It is weirdly, it's weirdly addictive because because the problem is, is a part of you is kind of going. Like, at first, you sort of think, yeah, I reckon I could throw a right-hander like that. But then you start to realise that you'd most likely be the guy lying on the floor being filmed from close range by a, a, a bunch of unscrupulous teenagers that would have you memed within the fucking hour. 
Listen, uh, Matt, so, thanks so much for coming up on for the second leg here. I mean, literally, you've got to be listening uh, to Matt's podcast. His book, Politically Homeless, is still available, well worth a read. And the tour just sounds like it's absolutely smashing it. And there's so much to talk about. So do get out and see that. And uh, Matt, thanks very much for appearing on the show. Mate, what a pleasure. It's always a treat talking to you, Jeff. And if people haven't heard your episode on my podcast, it was fantastic. And it was a real privilege to record. It was fa- phenomenal, thoughtful, really provocative in the right way just i think it will have made a lot of people really think and i know it has because so many people have been in touch and uh yeah it's, a, it's we, a privilege uh, to be to be on yours i mean if i was in the hotel room with you now i think we'd spoon wouldn't we at least oh yeah 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 we'd, we'd <laughs> open a load of those tiny little milk cartons <laughs> and make a fucking night of it <laughs>